Morning, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. I didn't do the last uh, four verses last week in this chapter because it is so awesome. I thought it deserved its own Sunday. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. While you're turning there, just a quick little recap for those of you that may be visiting or uh, just started coming, just where we're at. We're in the middle of Joshua. And it's in a series we've called Stepping into God's Promises. Uh, So far, this entire book has been about God desiring to bring his people into the promised land and kind of the the obstacles to that, uh, the shortcomings, the mistakes, the journey to get there, how God is all about the process, not just the result. Um, but he's all about his promises, and he's all about being good to his people. Uh, and that's kind of been the story through Joshua, that God is leading the people of Israel out of the wilderness into a place of promise where he can bless them. And what that means for us, and for the past few weeks we've seen that journey. It started with them in the wilderness and uh, basically hit a few key points where they're moving uh, to the Jordan River, God parts the Jordan River, they move through the Jordan, they remember him, they set up some memorial stones, uh, but God is also not just, ca- uh, not just asking them to remember what he's done in the past, he's also uh, moving them to look forward to the future and what he is doing, so they're stepping out in faith, and they've gone through the Jordan River, their enemies are going buck wild in sheer terror. And that's kind of where we pick it up in Joshua chapter 5. It's this interim period where they are camping on the promised land side of the Jordan River, just waiting uh, to do battle. And that's the story that we're picking up. The title of the sermon today is called, Who's in Charge Here? Uh, And it's a very short text. I'm going to read it, because that's what I do. Starting in verse 13, you can follow along with me in your Bibles, or on the, oh, in your Bibles. It says this, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may we also today have such a sense of wonder, such an active and tangible and palpable sense of your holiness, that we wouldn't so much take off our shoes in your presence, but that we would flee from sin and anything that so entangles us, 
so blinds us, so distracts us from being in the presence of the living God with a clear, unadulterated, unfiltered view of who you are. That is all we want today in the midst of all the other important and good things that we are doing and have to do. We want a clear, laser-focused view of our God today. God, you have to do that. You must do that. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you must be the one to open our eyes to have such a glimpse. God, we believe ahead of time. Seeing what we see in the Scriptures, even in our own experiences, sometimes all it takes is a glimpse of your glory to set our whole life right. And so we pray for that type of realignment, that type of recalibration. For God's people to see God's glory in God's place. God, when we leave out of here, may we be asking different questions than when we came in. We thank you that you care about all the things that we care about. You care about our problems. You care about our disappointments, care about all of those things that are happening in our lives. And yet you know the true solution. Set our eyes on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Move our vision, move our view. See you for who you are and may that change everything today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I first got married uh, to Brianna about seven and a half-ish years ago, I went into that marriage with kind of an idea of how things would be. I thought it was a good idea. We would get a place. It would be a small place. And we could basically chart a line down that place, that apartment, kind of like the 50% mark, and you know, half of it would be hers. Half of it would be mine. And never the twain shall they meet. When I got married, my expectations were slightly changed. It wasn't really 50 50, it was more like 90 10. And my 10% was this little desk in the corner, and still is. Little desk in the in the corner, out of all of that space where I can I can do this type of stuff and I can read and study and all of that. But recently, uh, in the past year, uh, her stuff has been encroaching upon my ten percent, and so I asked her about it because you know marriage. So I'm like, hey, what's happening? Like my ten percent, my desk. Like you have all of this, I have this here, and but I'm losing this here, and, and she's like. Marriage, bro. <clears throat> and I'm all, yeah, marriage. Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> what's happening? She looks at me and says, marriage means that what your, uh, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. And she turns around and walks off. We often come into relationships, not just marriage, but maybe friendships, maybe agreements, maybe arrangements, business arrangements, with our own set of terms, right? 
Sometimes those terms work out, and sometimes they do not work out how we thought that they would. We spoke last week about a covenant relationship with God, right? We spoke about a relationship with God in which we come into a loving, uh, caring, powerful, transformative relationship with the Most High God. What I want to talk about today is how each of us go into that relationship with our own set of terms, don't we? Sometimes you get what you're expecting, and sometimes you do not. Look at Joshua. Joshua was a man after God's own heart. He was doing all the right things. There are a few things in the book of Joshua or in Joshua's life that is exposed as outright wrong. Most characters in the Bible, they have like that dirty spot where the Bible kind of uh, points out without embarrassment that they're fallen and messed up. There's a couple people that you don't really get that. Daniel is one. Joshua is kind of one. He makes a few mistakes, but they're not huge. He's by and large a great guy doing great things for the kingdom of God with an agenda on his heart that he is sniffing out right now. Joshua has terms. Joshua has plans. Joshua has an idea, maybe, of how things are going to work out. And immediately on, uh, from the get-go in, in verse 13, it says that when Joshua was by Jericho, you have to envision this scene, right? They just crossed over the Jordan River by an, a powerful, miraculous act of God. And they are, I, I'm assuming, because they're not in the Jordan and they're not in Jericho yet, they're probably between the Jordan and Jericho, maybe camping or glamping or whatever it is that they did back then. But they're not there and they're not here. They're right in the middle waiting for God to tell them to make a move. Except for Joshua. Joshua doesn't seem to be in that camp. He's gone for a hike. He's gone for a walk. Specifically by Jericho. And you can almost imagine Joshua, right? He feels it. He senses victory. Imminent victory. He's gone through so much obstacles So many different setbacks. He's had to deal with millions of people that are very difficult. But he's crossed through the Red Sea, uh, excuse me, through the Jordan River. He's on the verge of taking over the promised land by the power, grace, and promises of God. And if I were him, I'd probably be checking it out myself as well. Perhaps that's what Joshua's doing. Maybe he's going for a walk getting a little closer to what he knows belongs to him, his inheritance, looking at it. Maybe he's daydreaming a little bit. Maybe he's planning for the future. Maybe he's strategizing what he's going to do. God hasn't, as far as we know, told him what the plan is. So maybe being the great military commander that he is, he's, he's weaving together a strategy, a military strategy. I don't know what he's doing, but he's at Jericho, and he's looking at it. Perhaps you felt a similar way from time to time, or there's something you've just been longing for in life. Maybe it's even good. Maybe it's from God. Maybe it's a promise that God has put on your heart from a long time ago. Maybe it's a healthy longing that you know God would really want you to have. It's not bad. It's not like you're longing for something that's sinful. You want good things for your life. And maybe it's just being stirred up within you. Perhaps it has gotten so close that you can feel it. 
You're on the outskirts of the walls of that very thing that you crave. Maybe you think about it often. Maybe you go to bed thinking about it. You wake up in the morning thinking about it. You're at your desk working thinking about it. Maybe that's what Joshua is doing too. Till he gets interrupted. Says in the last half of verse 13, as he was walking, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now picture that. Joshua walking, powerful military commander, gets surprised by someone in his way. What was he doing there? Who was he? Doesn't know. But he's standing there holding a sword. And Joshua walks up to this guy, and it says at the, in the last part of verse 13, he says to him, as you might expect, perhaps you would do as well, hey, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Are you on my side or are you on their side? What is your deal? Who are you for? Are you going to be an obstacle to my plans, or are you going to help me with what I'm about to do? I need to know what you're all about. If you do a character study of Joshua before the book of Joshua, he actually turns up a couple times. And every time he turns up, Exodus chapter 32, verse 17, Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, he's always pictured as this hasty young man who just says things, kind of like the Apostle Peter, just kind of blurts things out and is just ready to roll. He's the guy who's always, uh, he kind of turns up when Moses is uh, trying to make a decision, saying, we should do this, So you get this sense, even before this book opens up, that Joshua has this just driven type A personality. I just want to get it done. He's a little bit brash, a little bit young, and a little bit hasty, at least in Exodus and Numbers. But now he's matured a little bit more. But you can almost see that tendency creeping up. Who are you for? I've got a plan. Are you for my plan, or are you going to be in the way of my plan? I don't know what Joshua's motives were. Certainly, at the very least, they were well-intended. He is, after all, leading God's people into the promised land. I don't know his motives. I don't know his intentions in this moment. But I, I do know what mine are, often. I often think of things, you know, when I'm making decisions, when I'm interacting with people that, you know, I would never say this to you, but that the world revolves around me. You know, I would never tell you that. But if I were to peer deep down into my deepest, darkest motivations, a lot of what I do comes from that belief. That's usually the first thing that comes to mind. I might not even be thinking of those words, I am going to do so-and-so thing because the world revolves around me. But something is driving me. And sometimes it's that. Sometimes I view so many things, so many decisions, so many relational things, so many opportunities, so many problems through the lens of me. Think of how many decisions you make on a daily basis that are really driven and about you. Sometimes it's how we're wired. And sometimes it's not even necessarily bad to do things for us. But if you're like me, you might notice that every now and then, that drive within me, that desire to preserve myself, confronts God himself. The problem with Joshua 
right now is that this is no ordinary stranger standing in front of him, is it? This seems to be a special manifestation of heaven. Now, when this man identifies himself, he says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And we have a sense here that this is maybe an angelic being. This is not a human person. This is not someone that escaped Jericho. You know, this isn't like the greeting committee from Jericho. This is a, a supernatural being. Perhaps it's an angel with a special commission by God. Until we see how Joshua treats this angel, says that he falls down and begins to worship him. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see pictures of, uh, for example, apostles doing this very thing. They see actual angels, like I think it was the apostle John and some others. They fall on their feet to worship, and the angel immediately corrects them and says, do not do that. Worship only God. This particular character does not correct him, receives the worship. So this isn't a regular human being. It doesn't seem like it's an angel. Others would say that perhaps this is a momentary descent of God himself. Uh, There's a word for that people use to describe it, a theophany. It's not God himself that you're seeing, but it's the manifest presence of God. Only that which you are able to contain and to take in. And we see this throughout the Bible, right? A pillar of smoke and fire in the night, the burning bush that Moses saw. These aren't God themselves, but they are the the physical manifestation of his glory. It's a representative of God. Others uh, would say maybe this is actually Jesus himself in some kind of temporary pre-incarnate state. It's the second person of the Trinity before he had a body. Maybe he's just appearing on the scene. I don't know what it is. I just know it's not a person. It doesn't seem to be an angel. Somehow, some way, this is a supernatural representation of God himself standing in the middle of Joshua's path. Joshua had a plan. Joshua came into this thing with a, an idea of how it was going to work out maybe, and maybe some terms, and he encounters God himself. He's confronted by God himself. We may be wired to get things done. We may be pressured to get things done. Maybe we're driven by a hidden fear or even a good, well-intentioned, healthy dream. What each of us needs today is what Joshua got that day. We need an encounter with the living God. God rolls up on the scene in some form with terms too. As he often does. I love what I love this little exchange that happens. Joshua encounters what looks to be like God physically manifested, and Joshua asks him a question Are you for me or are you against me? We sometimes might unintentionally be asking that of God ourselves by the way that we live, by the way that we act, by the things that we think, by the things that we're driven by. God, are you going to get on my page or what? I have this plan. I'm going to pray so that you can bless my plan. (laughs) I do that a lot. But look at God's answer to Joshua. (laughs) Are you for me or are you against me? Are you for me or are you for my enemies? No. (laughs) It's not what, you're not 
actually answering my question. Are you for me? Are you going to bless my plan or are you against my plan? No. It's not a, or it's not a yes or no question, actually. Just... This, is, this exchange is filled with non sequiturs. You know what a non sequitur is? It's a conclusion that does not follow from the premises. It's a conclusion or an answer that has nothing to do with what came before it. Kids are incredible at this kind of thing. I had a couple friend, uh, Abby's friends who were over at our, our place this past week, and one of her friends was playing with her. They were dressing up, you know, so Abby was Elsa, and her friend was uh, like some type of rabbit or a bunny rabbit, you know, with the ears and stuff. And they come up to me. I come home from work. They come up to me, and Abby was on this... Uh, She's talking about boys, how she doesn't like boys. Maybe she should go to that, that camp we were talking about. <laughs> she's like, I don't like boys. She just walked up to me just at random. She's like, I don't like boys. She's four years old. I'm all, oh, that's great. I turn to her friend. I'm all, do you like boys or do you not like boys? She, uh, her friend looks at me. She says, I don't like boys either because I'm older and I have bunny ears. And she walks away, just runs. I'm all, I don't know how that makes it. Kids have this, this tendency to change, like, their sentences don't actually enforce their argument. They change the conversation. God actually does this with Joshua. He's like, hey, are you for me or are you against me? Are you going to bless my plan or not? No. He doesn't, even the answers that come out of, of, of this, uh, this commander of the Lord's army, they don't even, they don't have anything to do with the questions that Joshua is asking. The next thing that he says is, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Can you imagine Joshua in this moment? I don't. Uh, that's not what I asked. Do you ever do that? Lord, I want to submit my life to you, and I'm wondering, are you calling me to be a celebrity or a superhero? <laughs> and God says to you, uh, calling you to serve the poor in relative obscurity. And you're like, oh, that's not uh, what I was asking you. <laughs> God's like, I wasn't answering your question. <laughs> Seems like that's what, uh, what God is doing with, with Joshua. Even the conversation is changed and reformatted to fit God's agenda. It's okay to have expectations and terms and agendas in life. What we're seeing here is that sometimes our expectations begin to encroach on God's will for our life. And you kind of know that when you stop listening. Whenever I get to this point where I stop listening to God's will in my life, when I'm just in a rush and in a hurry, I know that I am presenting my will and my agenda for God to bless. Sometimes, out of his grace and mercy, God changes the subject and forces me to ask different questions. God, are you for me or are you against me? I have a plan. Are you going to bless it? But God is holy and far above us. I love what the prophet said, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's the one who sets the agenda for his people. He's the one who charts the course for his people. And he does it from a heart of love and care and all-knowing wisdom. He doesn't meet us on our terms so much as we meet him on his. And sometimes, at the end of the day, we've got to face the fact that we've been asking the wrong questions. Sometimes, we try to force God to meet us on our terms. We're wondering why we're always frustrated. Sometimes we try to box God in to something that we have 
uh, imagined in our minds, and we're disappointed. We're not disappointed ultimately in God. We're disappointed in the smallness of our own thinking. God doesn't always fit within our boxes, and he doesn't always go with my plans. Joshua's first response was, God, are you going to do what I'm planning on doing? And then he encounters God, and his second response is, what does my Lord say to his servant? This is when you know you've encountered the Lord. It's when your questions begin to change, right? When your questions move from being more about you to more about God and his will and his kingdom. We see this most vividly exemplified in Jesus who is the better Joshua, the better version of Joshua, who on the eve of dying on the cross for the sins of humanity would in the Garden of Gethsemane lift up this incredible weight on his shoulders to his father and say, will you take this cup from me? Will you change the plan? But not my will, but yours be done. In fact, all throughout his life, Jesus was marked by a holy submission to his Father. He would go so far as to say, I don't even say things on my own accord. I say what the Father tells me to say, and I do what the Father tells me to do. In fact, the Father's will is my food. He did that till his dying breath. Not my will be done, but yours. What happens when you encounter the Lord? You know you've encountered the Lord because your questions begin to change. They move from being more about you to more about God. You begin to encounter this freedom that only comes when you've surrendered your plans and agenda to the Lord. This commander, this physical manifestation of God looks at Joshua and says, after Joshua's right question, what does the Lord say to his servant? commander says, well, you can start off by this, by doing this. Take your shoes off. Anyone ever tell you that when you go into their living room? Got like bright white carpets. They stop you at the front door. They're like, take your shoes off. This commander says this to Joshua. Take off the sandals from your feet because the place you are standing is holy. Same thing that God would say to Moses at the burning bush. This is a physical manifestation of God's power and glory. What this commander is saying is not, I don't like your shoes, but I want you to sense the power and the glory and the holiness that you are about to participate in right now. There's a sense of reverence and awe about being in the presence of God. And God doesn't always fit into our categories. Again, third thing this commander says has nothing to do with what Joshua was asking. Never does God ever answer Joshua's original question. God doesn't always seem to fit into the categories that we have prepared. But for Joshua, it's okay. He looks at this commander-in-chief and he says, Actually, he doesn't say anything. It just says in the last verse, Joshua did so. A sign of Joshua, not just conforming to a command, but beginning the process of conforming to God through an act of surrender. Surrender is conforming to the will and to the image of God in us. Joshua's greatest need in this moment was not to secure a victory. His greatest need was to surrender to the victor. 
And that's your greatest need this morning too. Certainly, your life is filled with needs and urgencies and purposes and problems and opportunities. And if there's anything we could gather from this text, those aren't your greatest needs. Your greatest need is not to secure the next victory in your life. Your greatest need is to surrender those needs to the victor in your life. Joshua responds in worship, in surrender, and in reverence. You say, well, what's the freedom in surrendering? Well, if you look at Joshua's life, you can at least see three things before he goes into Jericho. One, he was in the presence of the living God. Whenever the ground is holy in the Old Testament, that was a symbol that God's presence was actually there. It wasn't, it wasn't religious rhetoric. Anytime the, 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 the ground was holy or sanctified, it was a, a, a symbolic that God's actual tangible presence was there. Joshua was experiencing the felt presence of the living God. But he was also listening to the voice of God. In fact, he says that as a response to the commander. What does my Lord say to me? All of a sudden, I'm not the one talking. I'm the one listening. Third, he was obeying God's command. His response at the end of this chapter, Joshua did so. What's the freedom of surrendering your plans and your agenda and your life to God? God's presence, God's voice, and God's rule. The same three things that we have been talking about for two years that is the kingdom of God. You remember that phrase that we all, always throw out from time to time that I've, I've borrowed? The kingdom of God can basically be summarized as this. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Are you praying, may God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? The answer to that prayer is going to manifest itself in your life as an act of surrender to that very God. Joshua does that and he experiences the power of God's kingdom. And for this, you know, for Joshua, this was a, a christening moment. Which it seems like all of God's people have to have. A moment where you are confronted in a transformative way by the presence of God. For him, it's not like he got saved in this moment. It's not like his whole world was changed in this moment. He was already a believer in Yahweh. He was already going in the right direction. But there had to take place in his life a shift in his spiritual well-being. A shift in his mindset. A shift in his equilibrium. A shift in his spiritual climate. Where it wasn't just him saying, what do I need to do to get into Jericho? But it uh, caused him to fall on his knees, saying, and for the rest of his life, I have the God of the universe, the God of uh, 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 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a christening moment in his life where he encountered God, and it changed everything from his questions to his ambitions. The christening point in Joshua's life was this act of surrender when God became the new point of reference and Joshua gave up. You look throughout the Bible and you see this always happening. It happened with Jacob wrestling with the angel of God, an encounter with God that changed everything. You see it with Moses, who was a pretty good guy for like most of his days, but everything changed when he encountered God at the burning bush. You see it in Ruth, who was a pretty nice gal, who encountered God in the fields. 
and who, ch- uh, who everything was changed for. You see it in Jonah, who's actually not a great guy. And everything was changed when he encountered God in the belly of a fish. You see it in Paul, who's a terrible guy. Paul was a terrorist. He terrorized the people of God. And God turned a terrorist into one of the most mighty men of God who ended up writing two-thirds of the, the New Testament. Where did that happen? An encounter with God on the road to Damascus and a time in obscurity. We see it even in the Son of God, Jesus himself, who is perfect and sinless, who obeyed God's will perfectly and yet still encountered a time of tempting where he surrendered everything to his Father. There seem to be these points of transformation and christening that occur when men and women encounter the living God. And they encounter the living God and it changes the questions that they're asking and they perhaps for the first time in their life surrender. It's the breaking point we can call it. There must be a breaking point in the believer's life. You might have given your life to the Lord when you were 10 years old or 14 years old or 40 years old or 80 years old. And that's amazing. But perhaps what you need in this moment is a breaking point of your will. Where you see for the first time God's will is the best thing that I have ever seen. And I want that for the first time more than anything else in my life. What we see in the Bible is an incredible freedom that comes to people who have been broken by that. Who have encountered God, whatever it is, in the belly of the fish for you, on the road to Damascus, or on your way to the promised land. You've encountered the, the, the king of glory. You've fallen on your knees. Your questions have changed. And you've given it all up in surrender to the Lord. You may be saying, you know what? I love all of that, but what about my, what about my needs? I still have needs. I still got to pay the rent. I still got to take care of such and such thing, you know? And to be perfectly honest, it's hard to think about such panoramic, monumental, cosmic things like God's kingdom in the universe when I can't even get out of bed without experiencing anxiety and worry. You know what the mysterious and counterintuitive and very kind truth we find in the Bible about surrender is? I think Jesus said it the best. He said in Matthew 6, and if I could preface it with this, I know, the Father knows what you have need of even before you ask. Your Father knows when sparrows fall from the tree. He counts them all, knows how many hairs are on your head. This is a God who is intimately acquainted with all of your ways and all of your needs, Psalm 139. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. God cares about your faults and your, your brokenness and your problems. He cares about the rut that you're in. 
cares about your depression. He cares about your worry and your anxiety. He cares about your broken marriage. He cares about all of those things. And in order to heal them, he wants to encounter you on the road to your worry and lift your eyes to see him for who he is. How beautiful is this statement that this commander gives to Joshua. Joshua says, are you for me or are you against me? No. I am a commander of the armies of the Lord. Now, I have come. Can you imagine the level of comfort, sheer terror, yes, in Joshua right now, angel of the Lord with sword drawn, that's never, a com- you know, that's never entirely comforting, but there also must have been a note of underlying comfort for Joshua who's supposed to lead the people of Israel into an impossible mission. Oh, thank God. <laughs> You're here. Imagine the words from the commander-in-chief, from God himself, ricocheting off Joshua's soul. Hey, I'm here. Now I have come. I am the commander of heaven's armies. Now I have come. I want each and every one of you in this building today to hear that as God's word to you right now. Wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're about to go through, whatever you're going through now, the God of heaven's armies looking at you in the middle of the road to your worries saying, now I have come. What does that do to your anxiety? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning as we we move into a time of singing. And let's just just begin to ask some different questions than maybe we were an hour ago. Is there anything that you're holding back from God? God. This passage of scripture seems to be about surrender and an encounter with God that leads to surrender. Is there anything that you are not surrendering? And before you just immediately jump to the finish line and say, okay, I'm going to surrender it. I want you first to ask this question, why am I not? I want us to get to the heart of the matter because that's where God loves to meet his people is in the heart. If there's anything that you are hanging on to that you're holding back, God wants to deal with the why before he deals with the what. Maybe it's fear. Maybe if that's something that you let go, you're afraid that your life is going to fall apart. Allow God into those places of fear right now. Maybe if you let go of a certain thing or you surrender a certain thing to God, you're afraid of the future and what that might hold. Surrender that fear to God. Let him into those dark places. Don't just try to fake Christianity, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I'm going to surrender today. No, let him into those places first. And what you will find when you allow God into those places of fear and worry and anxiety is the captain of the Lord's armies lifting you up out of that place of anxiety so that you don't have to do it yourself. But first, you've got to let him in. Maybe the last time you let him in was when you got saved 20 years ago. Maybe the next time you let him in is right now.
What are you holding back? Maybe what you're holding back today is your heart. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, the one thing that would happen today is that you would encounter God on the way to Jericho. And not the God that you have projected out of your own fear and anxiety, but a God who loves you, cares about you, and will not break you in your vulnerability. You can trust this God. Right now he's asking many of you, I hope all of you, what are you holding back from me? And why are you doing it? Best thing we could do with that right now is to face God, our wonderful Father who holds no blessing back from his people. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who heals and you are the God who transforms. You're the God who redeems. You're the God who restores. But sometimes you have to confront us on the road, on the path that we're, we're traveling down in order to, to bring that healing. Sometimes physicians have to, have to do things that are uncomfortable before they can heal those that are sick. Perhaps you want to confront some of us today and maybe that's uncomfortable. God, I pray that in that discomfort you would just surround us with with your love and with your peace that you would show us the great amount of healing that you want to bring to your church today. I pray that it would start there with our plans, our agendas, even our outlook on life. God, as we, we let you deal with us today, may you heal the places where we are broken and weary and tired, disappointed, disillusioned, bitter. May you pick us up out of that place and bring us into the promised land. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.